Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Craig Rasmussen. Now, before we get into this week's show, I want to give you a little update on the week that was. It has been really, really good around here, my friend. Things are going very well. So coming off a long weekend, had to work the smallest amount, put in like an hour on Saturday, put in like an hour, hour and a half on Monday. But you know, as the saying goes, sacrifices must be made. It was for, you know, this evolving hoops program, which I'll talk about here in a minute, but you know, a little bit of work offset by a lot of downtime. Got to hang out with the family. We hit the pool a couple times. We got to watch some movies and just by and large got to chill out and relax for about two, two and a half days. So feeling really good, recharge because frankly, I need it. This is my most productive time of the year. We got the hoops thing going full tilt right now. And it's been really cool to watch this program evolve. When I first started doing this stuff a couple years ago, I made it a goal. I wanted to have five high-level guys. And that's all I put it as, five high-level guys. And that could be Division One, that could be G League, that could be overseas, that could be NBA. And in that first offseason, I had five dudes. So I felt like, okay, that was a win. Last year, we cranked that up. We were closer to 15, 16 guys that we worked with. And Joey obviously had a few more because he does the skill stuff. And then, man, this year, I think we're already at 15, 16, and it's not even June yet. So we're killing it. Plus, we've already got four NBA guys in this offseason. So I told Joey we were going back and forth the other night. Man, I just want to take what we've got right now and put it in a bottle because the culture The environment in that gym right now is so high quality. All the dudes that are in there, they're hungry, they're ready to work, they're coachable, and it's just this amazing environment. And it's very cool because you're watching these guys get better, it feels like, day by day and week by week. So obviously, very excited about the hoops thing. That's crushing it. The other reason it's so productive right now is I got all my usual kind of content going on, but I'm also working really hard on this training and coaching certification. Man, I cannot wait to get this out. I would say we're looking at August, but probably more like September by the time I do all the the pieces on the back end that need to be done. I get everything uploaded and placed where it needs to be. But man, I just can't tell you how excited I am about this because I think it, it takes elements of all of my best content, pieces of all of my best programs, online courses that I've created in the past, and it's bringing it into one really all-encompassing product that I think you're really going to love. I've been spending an extra hour every day on that. So whether I get up early or I stay up and work for an hour after the kids go to bed, it's got to get done because I'm recording all the videos on June 29th and 30th. So I got about four and a half, five weeks to get everything prepped and ready, but very excited about where that's going. As I mentioned before, the content train is still rolling. Sort of took a week off this week from writing because, you know, with Joel relaunching his certified conditioning coach course, it got me thinking about arguably my most popular conditioning article of all time, which is six tips for writing better conditioning programs. If you haven't read this article, again, it's one of my most shared articles of all time. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's one of those, if you write conditioning programs, doesn't matter, gin pop, athlete, if you write conditioning programs, it's one you need to read. Because trust me, I have made every mistake in the book when it comes to writing a conditioning program. And this kind of summarizes some things that I think are going to definitely help you level up 
your program design skills with regards to conditioning. New video up this week, the side bear. If you have never tried the side bear, trust me, you have never felt your side abs like you will when you do this exercise. So I love the bear progression. Once somebody's moved from regular bear to knees extended bear to walking bear, I really like the side bear to start to close off each ab wall individually. It's a fantastic exercise. But beyond that, man, I'm shooting a whole bunch more videos this week. So you're looking at probably another two to three months of video content. So hopefully you're enjoying those. Hopefully those are helping you become a better trainer, a better coach, or if you're a better athlete, you know, it's going to help you perform better in the gym. And then last but not least, we recorded three new shows last week. Obviously I got Craig's show coming out here today, but I also did interviews with Jail Holdsworth. I did another interview with John Russon. So I've got some really good content coming up on the podcast and that goes beyond some solo shows that I'm excited to record as well. So my friend, you know, I'm passionate about this stuff. I love helping trainers, coaches, athletes level up their game. So I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you're enjoying the videos and just enjoying the content as a whole. Okay. Now, with that being said, this may seem like an interesting segue, but my deep thought for the week is about a very simple word that is very hard to use. That word is no. Ah, Interesting, right? So really what I want to talk about is the power of the word no. And it's a word that I find myself thinking about very often, but even more so in about the last three or four days. So first and foremost, I'm going through my planner, the, the Michael Hyatt planner. For some reason, the name escapes me now, but I'm going through my, my Michael Hyatt planner. He's got these little quotes at the top of every page. So sometimes I don't even get my whole day down, but I love the quotes at the top. And this one from Anne Lamott really stood out to me. And it's very simple. It says, no is a complete sentence. I just love that quote. No is a complete sentence. But then I I kept having this thought come up. I'm reading this book by Tim Grover as well about relentless. And if you don't know anything about Tim Grover, he's the guy that worked with MJ. He worked with Kobe. He's worked with Dwayne Wade. And if you can get over some of the arrogance and some of the bravado that he exudes through this book, he's very adamant that, you know, you need to be okay with using the word no. And when you use the word no, you might come across as an asshole. You may come across as a jerk. And, you know, in his opinion, sometimes that's okay. Like he's okay being like that, you know? And and finally, it reminded me of a Mark Fisher article that I read. Don't ask me to find it, but, you know, 12 months, 18 months ago, and it was all about the concept of time management. And Mark Fisher said, you know, one of the primary things that you can do to manage your time better is to say no more often. So it leads me to my thoughts on this. And I think of myself very much as a servant, right? I'm a servant to the clients and athletes that I coach. I'm a servant to people like you because I feel compelled to share what I've learned with the fitness industry, with the coaching community to help us all level up and raise our game. So it's very hard for me to tell people no, right? There's this small part of me that will always be a people pleaser. So I can't go the Tim Grover route and just say no with no explanation, 
Like I feel compelled to, if I'm going to say no, I'm going to give you a valid response why. But I also have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, I'm just at a point where I can't say yes to everything anymore. There used to be a point in time where, you know, an editor of a small magazine would say, oh, I'd love for you to write this article. You know, it's like you get paid like 50 bucks. Are you interested? And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely, because I just needed to get my name out there. Or maybe a very small up-and-coming podcast would say, hey, you know, we've got like 50 to 100 listeners, but we'd love to have you on. And I would say yes, because again, I want to give as freely as I can with my time. So it's hard for me because while I want to say yes, and while sometimes I feel compelled to say yes, I find myself as I grow older, finding the need to say no more frequently. Because I have to focus at this point in time on what's most important to me. And those things are very simple. It's my family. It's my work. You know, the work that I do at the gym with my athletes, building iFast, creating this certification, creating the content. Because here's the really deep thought. And here's the thing that I want you to remember. When you say yes to something, right? So if I say yes to all of those things, on the flip side of that, I'm really saying no to something else. But the big downside there is when I say yes to all these other small things, ultimately I'm saying no to the big things that are most important to me. So that's what I want you to constantly think about. You know, yeah, it feels good to serve people. It's a, it feels good to say yes all the time. But be conscious of the fact that when you're saying yes to everything, you're often saying no to things that are very valuable and very important to you. So my friend, I hope that makes sense. I hope you enjoyed that little nugget, something that I've been thinking a lot about personally, and it's something that I think you should always be thinking about considering as well. So we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump into this amazing show with Craig Rasmussen. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders, and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentous.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Craig Rasmussen is the Director of Coaching and Programming at Results Fitness in Newhall, California. Results Fitness has been named one of the top 10 gyms in the U.S. by Men's Health on multiple occasions. 
Craig has well over 18 years of experience in the fitness industry, working with all levels, ages, and types of clientele, including professional athletes to general population clients with a wide variety of goals. With an unquenchable thirst for learning and sharing what he has learned with others, he also holds coaching and programming certifications from several top-level organizations in the fitness industry. Craig has been featured in numerous online and print magazines, including Muscle & Fitness, Men's Fitness, Men's Health, and T-Nation. His driving why is to inspire self-confidence in clients to help them to achieve things that they never thought possible when they walked through the gym doors. I first met Craig way back in 2003 at a squat, bench, and deadlift seminar I hosted in Fort Wayne. We definitely hit it off, and his thirst for knowledge and personal growth is something that I've always admired. In this show, Craig and I cover a ton of ground, from his start learning from old-school bodybuilders and powerlifters to the power of confidence, why everything depends on goals, and an awesome discussion about what constitutes acceptable lifting technique. Craig is someone that I deeply respect, and I know you're going to love this show. But enough from me. Let's do this. Craig, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate it. Man, we've known each other for a long time. We haven't talked in a while. In all honesty, you're one of the big reasons that I'm at Results Fitness. You kind of got my foot in the door here to get me an interview. You, Bill, and Eric kind of put a word in for me with Alan and Rachel when I moved back to California. I used to live in beautiful Indianapolis, which I saw. There's a question you have for me about that later, which I'll be happy to (laughs) elaborate on. Yes, I have been at Results Fitness since I moved back from Indianapolis since uh, late 2006. I've been here for almost 13 years now. So, wow, it's been it's been a really long time and a long journey. I'm the director of coaching and programming here at Results Fitness. I still coach on a regular basis. I work with the other coaches, te- doing a lot of teaching with the other coaches. I run a powerlifting team through the gym. And I also, we have two companies at Results Fitness, which is Results Fitness University, which is Alan and Rachel's consulting company, which I also work for. And we do some seminar speaking gigs mentorships and mastermind. We have a mastermind group through that, that I work with as well. So very cool. it keeps me very busy, um, <laughs> and it, but I, it's a labor I love. I love what I do. It's one of the most rewarding things in the world for sure. And Alan and Rachel are two awesome people to work for. They push and I need to be pushed like we were talking about <laughs> earlier to keep me going. And they invest in me constantly are always pushing me to learn more and bring back what I learn. And it's just been a an amazing 13 years for sure. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all this? Yeah, that's a, this might be the longest answer <laughs> for sure. Um, when we, when you, when I saw this question, we always hear about those people that are 12 years old and they get their Sears, you know, concrete weight set and they start lifting their basement in their garage. Yeah, That wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do that. I never touched a weight until I was about 18 or 19 years old. My dad kind of had a, a garage gym up in Paradise, California, where I kind of spent some time growing up. And he used to lift weights, you know, for yep. recreational, do a lot of bench pressing and curls yep. and things like that. And I see him doing that, but he didn't really, you know, share that a whole lot with me. I just saw him doing it right. and I never really got into it. So I went to college. I graduated high school. I was a basketball player. So I graduated high school at about 150-ish pounds at my same height of 6'1". So I was kind of, <laughs> I had to jump around in the shower to get wet type uh, skinny. And 
I started playing at junior college basketball up at Butte Junior College, Aaron Rodgers' alma mater, actually. Okay. And I had a basketball coach that sat us down to talk about our strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things he sat down and told me is I wasn't going to be playing a whole lot because I was not strong enough and too small, too skinny because I was going to get pushed around. So I kind of fought that at first because I was like, what, what do I need to do that for? I'm just going to shoot the three. I'll be fine. Right. And then I finally, it, it kind of pissed me off. So I wanted to prove him wrong. So I started going to the weight room and doing a lot of silly you know, muscle and fitness type routines because that was our only source of information at the time. My dad had stacks of those magazines that I would go grab and read through and I'd copy a lot of those different things. Yeah. But like when you're a beginner, you know, pretty much everything works. So I started seeing some changes in my body primarily. And I was like, wow, this is really cool how fast this, these effects have taken place. And, you know, people started noticing. So that kind of gave me a little bit of confidence. And I spent, I kind of, long story short, I kind of quit playing basketball for the most part, just did it recreationally and then really got into lifting weights and took a weight training class at Butte before I uh, went on to a four-year college and really got into lifting weights there. Still did kind of bodybuilder-ish routines. I stumbled on to Lee Haney's. He was kind of my inspiration. He was the Mr. Olympia at the time. And that's where back in those days, that's where we all started, right? Yeah. With, you know, bodybuilding type routines. And But Lee Haney, if you look at some of his early routines, he had a four-day split, which was, you know, an upper-lower type split. And of course, I didn't do that. I just got, I'm going to jump to what he's doing right now. The you know three <laughs> days on, one day off, yeah. three days on, one day's off split. But it was very sensible the way he approached things from that standpoint. So that's where I kind of started. Then I, I stumbled upon the internet was in its very early stages of those days in the late 80s, early 90s mid nineties. And I had got into, I think I picked up some muscle media 2000. Yes. Uh, Stuart McRobert was writing for Bill Phillips old magazine. Yep. And Stuart was very non non-conventional about the routines that he was suggesting and really big on promoting basic lifts and not doing too much, doing the right amount and not following the routines of, you know, drug using bodybuilders. That wasn't the way to go. Right. So I purchased his book, which was called Braun, mm-hmm. which was kind of a big eye opener and started following some stuff out of that. So that kind of started me on the path to what he called sensible training. Yep. And I started getting better results. So I started <laughs> squatting at the time. Right. And I was squatting, like trying to stay way too upright. So I started getting some kind of knee tendinopathy type stuff and decided I needed some help. So I needed to get a coach. So that was a big turning point that kind of led me down this path. And there was a guy in Stuart, uh, Stuart had a little uh, coupon for a ma- his magazine, which is called Hard Gainer Magazine. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy in this magazine and the first issue that I got, his name was John Christie. And he talked about training a client and he, that he had worked with and he did some, you know, in those days it was over the phone and via fax and right. email <laughs> consultations. Yes. And I go, I'm going to call this guy because his approach kind of resonated with me. I like how detail oriented he was and it just, it kind of stuck with me. So I called him and we ended up talking for like an hour on the phone. He spent some time with me and he could tell that I was very serious about it. And so yeah. he goes, yeah, I'm not really taking any clients right now, but you sound really serious. So I'll take you on. And I go, awesome. So long story short, he kind of became my my coach and yeah. I would send him faxes and, and emails and <laughs> videos on VHS where he'd evaluate my, That's awesome. my technique. And I started getting great results from that. And it was a very, John used a very, it was based around sets of five, his approach, training two, three days a week and just progressive overload, adding little bits of weight regularly. It was very like the starting strength type thing that yeah. became, you know, it's popular nowadays. And John was very early on with that. And 
I got into powerlifting through John and the guys at his gym. Went out to Indianapolis and did a powerlifting meet up in Elkhart, Indiana. My first meet then in yeah. the late nineties. And I was a PE teacher at Lincoln Middle School here in Santa Monica. So that was kind of my career. I was a kinesiology yep. major. So I, you know, I was a seventh grade PE teacher for five years okay. down in Santa Monica at a public school. And an interesting story there, Reg Parks, yeah. uh, grands went to our school. So one day, so I told you I got a lot of, a lot of different tangents. He brought, <laughs> I go, hey, you, he said something about John John. And I remember from reading all my bodybuilding magazines about Arnold that John John was Reg Park's son. And I said, is John, John, John Park, you're, you're, you know, Reg Park. He goes, oh yeah, that's my grandpa. And I go, really? Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> so a couple of weeks later, Reg Park shows up at my office door and brings some magazines, autograph for me, talked to me for about a half an hour about stuff. And that was a super cool experience there. But anyway, like the, the path from there is John had a client in uh, Beverly Hills it was a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Orlando. Nicholas Orlando was Arthur Jones' partner in Nautilus. Oh, wow. Um, John asked me to go over because Santa Monica was very close to Beverly Hills. And asked me to go help out Nicholas with his programming or his training. So I went over there and coached him. Nicholas had some nice things to say to me about John. And John asked me to come work for him because he you know, said that I had, I had a knack for this. And he wanted somebody he could count on to come work for him. We decided to make the jump to Indianapolis and moved out there. And I worked for John doing one-on-one training, worked at Park Tudor High School out there in Indianapolis as a strength coach for about an hour and a half each day before I'd go back to the client, to the gym and train clients one-on-one, purely one-on-one at the time. Met you and Bill. You hosted a seminar up in Fort Wayne. That was the very first Con Ed seminar I ever went to. Really? Beauty. I'm sorry. That was the very first one after I got (laughs) My CSCS, and it was on, of course, squat, bench, and deadlift, yep. which was perfect. And I got some CEUs from that, and you and I kind of hit it off and find out we were kind of kindred spirits with things we were interested in, very like-minded. Yep. And then you ended up moving down to Indianapolis, and you started kind of feeding my con ed appetite with giving me a lot of Mike Boyle's DVDs, and you kind of lived you know, a few blocks down from me, and I would stop yep. by, and you would just keep on feeding me books and different things. Yeah. And, it kind of grew from there, and that's how I got steered to uh, to Alan and Rachel here. Is from that meeting Bill through you, and I think Alan introduced you to Bill from yep. some of the stuff he knew online, and and that's how it kind of ended. But my career path, the reason why I love doing this is because of the fact that I like to give people confidence. Yep. I got that from my coaches, from John. I got it from my ninth grade basketball coach. Taught me how to shoot the jumper. Um, he spent about an, an hour of time. He probably doesn't even know this, but he spent called me up one summer and just taught me how to shoot a jump shot for two hours. And I started getting, seeing the ball go in the hoop and he started really focusing on the details of my jump shot. And I would have gone from being like a D plus basketball player to, you know, a B plus a minus basketball player just from those two hours and what he inspired in there. Martin Rooney has a great thing that he says is, you know, coaches believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Yep. And, you know, Alan and Rachel, John, Randy, my basketball coach, all believed in me more than I believed in myself. I wasn't very confident as a kid growing up, and I didn't know what I was capable of. And kind of, I had a lot of social anxiety issues, you know, a death fear of public speaking, (laughs) where I would like, it'd be the, I would put it off, awful, you know, for days if possible not to be able to do it. And just would get, I was worried about how people would judge me and what they would think of me and what they thought of me. And those moments, 
kind of, or what I want to give other people. It's like, I want to inspire the confidence that my coaches gave me to other people. And that's kind of my Simon Sinek's why. Yeah. I, I do what I do. And, and those moments are why I coach. <laughs> I love that, man. And that's something that I always tell my coaches is, man, so many of these people that walk through our doors, even some of the highest level athletes, their belief in themselves isn't as great as you would think. And so if you can help instill that in people, that's more valuable than any program, any set rep scheme, anything that you can do for them from a technical perspective. If you can just help them believe in themselves, you have won as a coach. Absolutely. It's amazing that you can't put any limits on someone because it's. I think by nature, we're really quick to judge people. And this mm. is, we put them in this box and we don't think they can ever get out of it. it. Don't You can't ever do that. I've learned that lesson so many times. I mean, I have a lady that she's late in her mid seventies and she's going to IPF world championships in Sweden for the, this is her second world championships. Wow. And when she first came into the gym, she refused to get on the ground to do the FMS. And if you would have asked me that day, who is the client that is the least likely to do a powerlifting meet? <laughs> I would have said her. <laughs> and she's been to two IPF world championships. That's amazing, man. So it's like you never know what people are going to do. It's crazy. Yeah. So you can't put any limits on them or let them put them on themselves. Exactly. That's the big mistake that I've made is putting self-imposed limits, putting a ceiling. You can't do that because you just don't know. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with the basics because – like you mentioned a couple of times, you're super into Con Ed and I know you've evolved over the years. So would you start by just giving us like your overarching philosophy or Craig Rasmussen's big rocks when it comes to training your clients? Yeah, this is the weird thing about training. Like the more that I, longer I've been in this field, because I've been in it almost 20 years now. I mean, when you factor in my physical education stuff too, it's like 25 years yep. of working with kids and stuff like that. I really, I, I don't know a whole lot that I thought I really knew like 10 years ago. I thought I knew a whole lot more. And now I'm like, right. it's really true. You, you think that's just kind of a like throwaway cliche. term that people say? Yeah. yeah. It's just like a cliche to that to say that, but it's not. It does depend. And I, everybody hates that answer that it depends. But I think it doesn't bother me at all as long as you tell me what it depends on and give me some context. The great cook says, you know, everything depends on context and relativity. Everybody wants these absolutes. Yep. But it all depends on context and relativity. So – to answer that question, it depends on someone's goals. Yep. So what are the client's goals? And those are going to kind of determine the big rocks. And the biggest rock is every decision that we're going to make for, from a programming standpoint, particularly depends on goals. So whatever you want to achieve, that's where we're going to go first. And in all of our programming seminars, that's the biggest, biggest lesson. It's like Dan John says, a famous quote, you know, the goal is to keep the goal the goal. And we tend to put our own agendas on people without factoring in, is this important to them? If I take your, you know, inline lunge to a three and you haven't lost any fat in two months, oh, then right. you're not going to be super happy with me if your right. goal is to lose fat. Now, that may be part of the process, getting you to move better. Now I'm getting, you know, more muscle into play and we can have a better metabolic effect from doing that. But it's got to happen along at the same time. Yes. Otherwise, I've lost you. And I think that that's a, that's a big rock. Number one is, is focusing on goals and then getting creating buy-in from clients. Yeah. You've got to explain to them why they're doing things and get them on board with why you're doing things. Um, Brett Bartholomew's, you know, great. He's the buy-in guy for sure mm -hmm. with first thing, we, what, why are we doing this exercise? And I know you've done that with the way you, the process for teaching exercise as well is yep. purpose, 
And then here's how we do it. Right, wrong, right. And then here's a big fire to put out. Look for this, do this, not that. Right. So that is big. Of course, we focus on multi-joint compound exercises without a doubt. The basics as a foundation. We want to be what Mark Verstegen calls, we want to do the basics savagely well. Yes. I've definitely fallen into the trap of doing sexy too soon and trying to get too sexy without having, making sure that foundation is in place. One of the things I think that when you're using a basketball analogy, and I know you were a basketball player too, is when we look back through the NBA and see who the guys were, where they came from as far as what colleges, we look back at that, you're going to see North Carolina and UCLA pop up a lot with guys that produce some of the best professionals. And I think there is no small reason is that Dean Smith and John Wooden were focused on the fundamentals. And when you take people that were really good athletes and you combine them with great fundamentals, you get a freak show on your hands like a Michael Jordan type that is just, you know, amazing when they're unleashed to exhibit their full potential and as an individual within the team concept. For sure. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely a big thing is focusing on on the basics. That's, again, a term that's thrown around, but it is critically important and having a bedrock of progressions and, and regressions and, and having a plan. Yes. Yes. I, I just love that you bring up the fact of the, the way I describe it now, it's, it's about checking boxes and you, you gave the example of, Oh, we took your inline lunge from a one to a three. Like, okay, that's great. That's that checked a box for me as a trainer or coach. But if they haven't lost any scale weight or any body fat, like you checked zero boxes for them. And yes. so you're just so right in that regard. And and I think that's something I definitely learned over the years is, you know, there's things that I have to check, right? Like I can't have somebody that is moving in an incompetent fashion or in a potentially injurious fashion. But at the same time, I have to find some way to blend my goals for them with their goals for them. And yes. it, it took me a while to figure that piece out. I'm not the slowest uh, or I'm not the fastest learner out there. But man, once I started doing that, the results that I got were so much better. Yes, for sure. So let's take this to the next level because I think everybody knows about results fitness. They know about Alan. They know about Rachel. They know about you. They know about what you guys are doing. But I think people would love to know, you know, just like what does a basic fat loss workout look like if somebody were to come to results fitness? Yeah, it's a great question. We are workouts. Are, the first, so after we talk, start with your goal, your goal is fat loss. Cool. Yeah. Now I know which direction I'm going to go. So when we think about programming, we got three primary kind of buckets or pathways that we're going to take. We're going to take people want to look better, fat yep. loss. People want to perform better, our athletic training, performance training, yep. or people just want to move and feel better. Yep. And that's kind of the other primary bucket. So now I know which pathway you're going to go. We're going to go into the fat loss kind of side of things. We're going to take you through that. And the next question I have to ask is, you know, what's your starting point? So we have to do some kind of screening or assessment, whatever you want to call it, to know where you're beginning. So if you're going to give me directions to Indianapolis, you have to know where I'm starting from. It's going to be different if I'm starting from Chicago versus starting from L.A. So we have to figure out where that is. And once we determine that, then we can come up with our kind of plan. We can draw a map to get there. And once we have that map drawn, then we can and start out on that path. So for us, the next question we have to ask is how much time do we have? Mm-hmm. Because that is a, a massive limiting factor that a lot of trainers don't consider. And we, we're going to write someone this awesome five, six day a week training plan that they're going to go through. And they go, oh, I've got two days to work out a half hour each day. That's all <laughs> right. I can dedicate. So right. as soon as you write this great plan, it's just... 
got to tear it up and throw it away and start over. So we got to ask that question first. So with that in mind, typically most of our clients are going to train three, four days a week. If we can get them here for that amount of time, that's ideal for a fat loss standpoint. Sometimes it's only two or three days a week. So that's kind of the first thing. And this goes along with Alan's fat loss hierarchy, which is a fantastic article that everybody should read that is involved in uh, the fat loss biz. Because the big rocks of that when we talk about fat loss, number one is nutrition. Number two is nutrition. Number three is uh, <laughs> resistance training. Yeah. Because that is where our muscle is, our metabolism. So what builds muscle, what keeps muscle. So that's where our bedrock for that. And then after that, we add some form of high-intensity interval training typically. And then that was the next dosage. And then yeah. after that, we add activities that burn calories but don't necessarily maintain or, or add uh, tissue, which is going to be stuff like our – uh, more aerobic or cardiac output style training yeah. after that. Now, Alan as often has to fight this because people think he's very anti-aerobics right, <laughs> or right. anti-cardio training. Absolutely not. Just right. from a priority stamp, prioritization standpoint, that's not yes. where we start. That's what we add at the tail end if we need to add that as a recovery modality yep. or as a, you know, for someone getting ready for a physique show, we need to get a little more calorie burn. We'll add some of that stuff. We use that too early. Our body gets very efficient at doing that and we don't want to rely upon that as a primary tool. Yep. All that said, here's how we break, break it down. We're going to use full body training. Yep. And we're going to train the main movement patterns. We're going to squat. We're going to hinge. We're going to push stuff. We're going to pull stuff. Those are kind of the bedrocks. We're going to do two full, a full body split like that. And then the stance position varies in the squat and the hinge patterns. And that's kind of how we subclassify those things. But we're going to kind of check all those boxes and we're going to alternate typically between an A and a B program with someone that's brand new to fat loss two to three days a week. And that's going to be the bedrock for it. If they can give me more days, we're going to add in some metabolic interval training for one or two days and we'll dose it out appropriately. If they're brand new, we're just going to start with the resistance training for yep. the first couple of weeks, maybe the month. Then we're going to add in some energy system work in the form of like a high intensity interval training, team training style class that we yep. offer at our gyms. We'll maybe add one, then we'll dose it. Potentially, if you have more days to get it dedicate, we may add one more of those. And then usually we've got like our Charlie Francis. We've got, if we add in that, we've probably got four highs. Yeah high stress days. We don't need much more than that typically. Right. And then if we need to add in other stuff, we're going to focus on, if you've got more days to give me at the gym, we're going to focus more on the recovery modalities. So we're going to do mobility circuits, things like that, different ways of doing some of the cardiac output type stuff. If you want to be here six days a week, that's a great problem to have. If you can be here right. six days a week and it follows right along with Alan's fat loss hierarchy, 2019. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what it, what it is. Man. Okay. So number one, I had totally forgotten about that article. That was probably in its time, one of the top five articles I ever read. It was such a well-written article. Just the, the mindset behind it was so good. And the other thing that people fail to remember is that that article was originally written in like, I don't know, 2006, our understanding of energy systems has evolved since then. So mm-hmm. nobody was talking about steady state cardio at that point in time. And Joel Jameson came along and gave us a semblance of balance. But again, when you look at it through the fat loss lens, if you're looking for maximal fat loss and minimum time, that hierarchy still stands. 
Yes, for sure. Like when we're talking about, we got to get, we're in the uh, fitness industry. And if I, it takes me, it's a long drawn out process to get this stuff. I'm going to lose you. I've got to get that buy-in from you. So that's where we're going to kind of be judici- judicious about what we prescribe because I've got to get results to get you hooked and get yes. you in too. So there is a place for that. And we got, can't neglect that. We don't do too much. Alan's got another great article, which I love a lot. He doesn't think it's the world's greatest thing, but it's <laughs> an overreaction, underreaction. That's mm-hmm. a really old article too. There's a bunch of different parts to that, but I know you're a big fan of continuums too. And it's just where that pendulum swings on a continuum is we overreact in the short term and underreact in the long term. Yeah, It's just that finding that sweet spot of, of what it is. That's what life is. Life is all continuums. Yes. Yes. And these, these pendulum swings and that's just kind of how it's go. What, what's new is what's old and what's old is new. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this next question will kind of fall right into that, that same idea. But when it comes to training, obviously, if you ever go on the internet, everyone loves to argue about exercise technique and how perfect it should be. So I would love to hear your thoughts when it comes to exercise technique. You know, should it be perfect? Should it be good enough? Somewhere in between? What do you think? That's a great question. I really, this is something I have probably been guilty of policing perfection, as Greg Cook calls it, a little too often. And you hold people back from progressing how they should just because things aren't exactly where you want them to be. Um, I think that probably the best way to think about it is, is it acceptable? Yeah, that's, that's the easiest way. We have a coaching algorithm <laughs> that we teach our interns and our new coaches, which what we're doing when we're coaching is we are basically evaluating what people are doing at any given time. And when someone is performing an exercise, the first question in this algorithm that's running through my head is, is this acceptable? Yes. Yes or no. And that's going to lead me down a path. Exos has a way of doing it as well. I think they call it position pattern power. And it's very similar in that if yes, awesome continue on. I don't want to interfere in your set. Right. <laughs> and just say good job. And all of a sudden we you know, we would learn from Nick Winkleman. When I say good job, when you're in the middle of doing a single leg RDL, I just stole your attentional focus. And all of a sudden we've all done it. People fall over. Now it's a bad job. Yeah. <laughs> I just distracted you. I stole your attention from what you're doing. So if yes, I'm going to wait until you're done. I'm going to ask you, Hey, how'd that feel? Awesome. I love how you did this. I'm going to reinforce the positive things that you did, which gets lost a lot of time with coaches is they just focus on what's wrong instead of what's right and building that whole kind of positive mindset in people. When we, when we feed people with this positive idea, we tend to get back positive stuff. If no, then I'm going to identify, okay, well, what's wrong? What's the biggest fire? That's, that's going on here. What's the biggest, there may be 10 things wrong with this exercise. What's the biggest problem? That's good. Most risky, you know, biggest thing is going to kind of a linchpin that I could fix first. Mm-hmm. We're going to prioritize that. Then what I'm going to do, easiest solution to that is to cue it. Cool. We cue it and that fixes it. Great. I give you an awesome external cue and that made it all, all money and now you're great. So we move on. If not, then I got to stop you. I got to show you right way. The old John Wooden, Mike Boyle, Thing, show you the right way, wrong way, right way. Yeah. So we end on a positive there again. If that fixes it, perfect. If not, we've got to regress the exercise. That's still not working. Maybe I break out a teaching tool first. I got to spend a little more time on that. If that's still not working, now we have to dial it back a little bit. We have to either reduce the load is our first regression primarily. And then if that's not working, we got to reduce the complexity of the exercise. You know, if you're doing a lunge, we've got to take it back to a split squat where you're yep. just doing a level change up and down versus forward and back and up and down yep. at the same time. So that's kind of the, the path that we go with that. 
I, I really, Matt Gary has been a big influence of mine over the last couple of years with powerlifting. Alan and Rachel, you know, sent me out to USAPL Nationals several years ago. Then I realized really how little I actually knew about powerlifting, <laughs> even though I've been involved in it for so long because I was involved at the local level. Right. level. When we got on Nationals, I was like, holy smokes. Yeah. This is crazy. And I learned so much in the warm-up room um, from being back there, helping him on his work with his team of lifters. Um, kind of loading plates and just listening. One of the things that he's known for, though, that's why I bring his name up, is what he calls upholding the standard. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where the supplies is. When we look at someone doing a chin-up, someone doing a split squat, someone doing a push-up, someone doing a dumbbell bench press, what's the standards for this exercise that are acceptable? If someone's doing a dumbbell bench press, we all know the biggest thing that they start doing or a squat is they start shortening the range of motion. Mm-hmm. So is this designated point A and point B at the start and, and midpoint at the movement? Are you achieving that? If yes, continue on. If no, you need to achieve that. You, right. I need to stop you and you need to make sure you're upholding the standard yeah. <laughs> of the exercise performance. And I think if you're checking the boxes of the standards of performance that are acceptable to you, then awesome. You yeah. need to pushing people and, and trying to get after it a little bit. You got to get after it. You got to, yeah. you know, challenge your body. Extra training is stress. We got to provide a stressor for the body to adapt to. And if we're not providing that stress, our body has no reason to adapt. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. That was so well done. Uh, first off, Matt Gary is, is a brilliant guy. He's somebody I need to get back on the show. Um, yeah, he's but great. man, he, yeah. I, cause I haven't, I don't think I've had him on since the original in the trenches fitness so oh, yeah, man, yeah. or, or maybe even a, it's just like a web interview. I don't know. It's been a while, but yeah, brilliant guy. But you brought up a point that I want to kind of circle back to, and this is something that we see with our interns all the time. Our interns definitely go through phases. And the first phase is just blind naivete. Like they have no clue what they're doing. You know, their lens is so skewed from what we would deem as acceptable at IFAST. And then kind of the next phase is, oh, crap. I'm starting to see things. I want to fix it all. I love the term that you used of linchpin because I think that's what great coaches do. Instead of fixing 10 things or trying to use 10 different cues, they know the one thing or the one cue that's going to fix eight or nine of those 10 things all at once. And I mm-hmm. think that's where you should aspire to be as a trainer or as a coach is, you know, how specific can you get or what's the one thing that you can fix that's going to have a domino effect and fix eight or nine of the issues that you're seeing right now. Yeah, for sure. That is, that's huge. You know, and it's the thing that new coaches go through right off the bat is we just want to verbally vomit everything yes. that we know on you when you do an exercise. Yes. And show you how <laughs> smart I am. Yes. But coaches, I, but clients says, I, was, I just want to train, man. I want to do it. I want to do it. Right. And you're spending 10 minutes explaining how to do it. And I'm not, I'm like, not going to remember any of that. Is what you have to realize. They're yep. going to remember one thing. Yep. So it's it's a process, and you know we have clients all the time that you know we coach as a team. So there's different things that they'll say. I, they've been here for a couple of years, and no one's ever told me that before because they think they should have heard it sometimes on the first day. It's like you weren't ready for that yet, right? Right. <laughs> we're layering what we're teaching you, and you don't even need to think about that yet because you weren't ready. So that this comes later. Yes, and one of the hardest things too is when you coach as a team. Sometimes you're focused on one thing where somebody else is focused on another. So like, for example, me and Eric both train some of our basketball guys. So we'll be in the gym and sometimes he'll coach something different than I would. Now, he's not coaching differently per se. He's just focused on something that I'm not at that point. So that's where, too, you have to kind of let people know, like, look, every coach has their own kind of lens. We're all taking you towards the same model. 
Like that's the most important thing. We all have the same model, but sometimes we're just focused on different things. And yeah, I think I that's think, where you have to be clear. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think one of the things that we caught ourselves doing, one of the things we're very, now we're talking a little bit about nuts and bolts stuff, but one of the things that we're very cognizant of at Results Fitness, we, as we train, you know, it's in a semi-private environment. We have one coach working with three to four clients at a time yep. on individual programs. And what we are very aware of is when there's another coach on the floor, I don't want that other coach to coach my clients. Yeah. <laughs> because. Yes. I may be working on, like you just said, on one thing and they're seeing something else and trying to fix that. Now what we've done with a client is created frustration and confusion Yes. because well, they just told me this, yes. you told me that. So you got, we got into, we got ourselves into that because we kind of used the system for a while where we had two coaches working with up to eight people all at the same time, more mm-hmm. of a team environment. And then I realized that we realized that wasn't a good idea to do that because of that fact. And we kind of lost some accountability from doing that. So we kind of went back to a different model after learning that. I, I went out and visited Sal Alosi at UCLA when he was here and watched how he worked with the UCLA basketball players. And one of the things that he did is with the whole team, he platooned them into four groups. And this coach had these platforms, and they coached them, and they didn't uh, mess okay. with the coaches. That's that was a uh, yeah, very interesting way of doing that. So they weren't kind of, when they were doing their lifting portion, they weren't kind of intermixing the coaches, two coaches working with one client. Yeah, no, that's smart. This will actually move very seamlessly into my next question because I know something I'm passionate about, something you're passionate about is coaching, but building rapport with clients and athletes because that's really kind of the starting point for all this. So you've worked with clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. What advice would you give to a new coach who's looking to build stronger relationships? Yeah, this just goes right back to the, you know, Mike Boyleism of no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, you know, we have a new intern that just started with us that we just went, spent the talk, time talking about this on day one. And a mistake that happens is just because you throw on the black results fitness shirt and you start barking out orders to people, they're just going to look at you like I could bring you or Mike Boyle into our gym who are fantastic coaches. And if you just don't build any uh, trust – Yes, clients and you just start barking orders on and go, who the hell is this guy <laughs> yelling at me? I don't even know him. <laughs> you know? And, yes. Uh, you have to spend time building trust with people and you got to get to know them. So yes. what, the first thing we have our interns do is I don't want you to coach a single thing for the first week that you're here. I want you to go around and learn people's names Yes. and learn something about them. And you're going to report back what you learned about someone. And we meet for our con ed session each day. And the goal is just to remember as many names as you can and use their names often. And then when you do start, we kind of take the reins off you and let you start coaching is one of the ways we build that rapport. So I'm going to approach it from a, absolutely from a position of positivity with you. I'm going to say, Hey, Mike, I love how you did, you know, got perfect depth on your squat. Can I give you some feedback on something else that I saw? So I'm going to ask, kind of ask permission yes. to give you feedback. So I'm not just taken over and you just have to trust me just because I have coach on my shirt I'm doing it because here's what I saw. I want to see if it makes things better. How's that feel? I'm going to try and just really, really build that whole idea of those positive vibes that I'm sending you. We'll, we'll kind of get that buy-in 
from you. And I can, you got to show people that you care. And how do you show that they're, you care is by being fully engaged in the coaching session. You don't have your arms crossed. You're not leaning on, you know, pieces of equipment. Cause that just looks like you don't give a crap about what's going on right now. Or, you know, we, we see it all the time in commercial gyms, although I haven't been in a commercial gym in years, but I hear about it still. <laughs> Coaches are looking at their phones while their clients in the middle of doing something. And if you're not paying attention to someone that just shows that you don't care and that doesn't create trust and, and, buy-in and, and those types of things. So just being all in, fully engaged with people that they can sense that passion and they know when you care from little things like body language and, and, you know, eye contact while they're talking to you and how you are, you know, turn and face them when you're listening to them. People want to hear their names a lot. It's little Dale, Dale Carnegie is, you know, the sweetest sound of someone is the sound of their own name. So we, yep. we teach our interns to use people's names a lot and I'm going to cue you. I'm going to say your name first because now I get your attention before I give you the cue rather than saying, oh, I love how you pushed that your knee sleeves out to the wall. That was awesome. Yeah. Sue. I'm going to say <laughs> Sue. And then I get her attention. Now I can give her the cue. So those yeah. little things like that or those little what I call I'm obsessive compulsive about details. Those things are what kind of keep me motivated and, and help to kind of create those connections with people. For sure. As mundane as they may be. <laughs> For sure. It is. But, you know, I remember – because we are very kindred spirits when it comes to con ed and learning. And I think it was maybe 2006, I went out and I did one of the Z health courses mm. somewhere mid 2000s. Right. And so Eric Cobb, Dr. Eric Cobb was giving, you know, this talk and he's talking about their assessment. And probably the only thing I remember so clearly still to this day, he said, step one in the assessment process is to stop all caps, stop and be present. Mm. And I thought that was so powerful. And that was in 2006 before we had, you know, the iPhones and the Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, constant bombardment with text messages and everything else. So that's even more applicable today. I mean, putting, I agree. putting the phone away, like I just can't even fathom somebody being on their phone on the gym floor. But, you know, truly just dialing in and being present with somebody will take you so far in life. It's like the simplest advice, but like just be there with them care about them, understand what is important to them. And if you do that, man, they'll run through walls for you. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. So last but not least here, I know you love the sport of powerlifting and many of your clients have moved into the sport as well. And this is something that we've actually done quite a bit at IFAST as well. I think there's a natural progression to it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why do you feel like this is, again, just kind of a really natural progression for many of your clients? We do still do a lot of fat loss training, but our gym has really evolved over time to what we, what Alan's kind of coined the term as executive athlete. Yeah. So this is the people that once you get them to certain physique goals, body composition goals, things like that, the next thing is like, so what, am I just maintenance mode now right. <laughs> the rest of my life? The question they ask is what's next? So what's next for you? Yeah. What do you want to do? What do you like? And they start to see people doing things that are inspiring to them. That's one of the good things about social media is you start to see people achieving different things. And I'm like, hey, I want to do that. That looks really interesting. So we can pique some interest with these things. And this kind of just naturally evolves into the, the what's next. People start getting meeting certain – we have standards for like our gen pop clients as far as numbers that we like them to achieve. Like benchmark, this is kind of benchmark strong before you can move into other exercises. And we've got 
you know, standards for our athletes. This is like entry level strong. And once people start kind of using, we have these, we have a chalkboard in our gym where we recognize when people have, I got this idea from Ethan Reeves at Wake Forest, Wake Forest back when he was there. Like he called it the gold standard board. Like he wanted all of his linemen to get to the ability to build a 150 pound one arm dumbbell bench. And then you were in wow. the gold club. Yeah. Or something like that. I think it's a serious bench that. press right there, yeah. man. Dang. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> something like that for five reps or so. But they got into the gold club when you reach these standards. So we kind of picked some numbers for about five or six different exercises. And when you meet that, you got your name on the chalkboard. It wasn't like this is the strongest deadlift in the gym. It was you met the standard. Now we recognize you along with everybody else. Yeah. Which is kind of a unique way to do that. But, but those types of things – People get kind of bit by the iron bug with that. When now these are real kind of quantifiable things that you can see progress on and track it, versus just being you know body comp numbers. These are different numbers that you can can are real and tangible that you can see, and it becomes you know a recreational sport pursuit, which is yes. you know that's kind of what bit me about the iron bug is being able to to do those things and see the weight go up on the bar, and it's it's fun. It's a sport. It's a recreational sport um, for a lot of us, but it is something that is a challenge and you want to see what you can do. And then it, 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 like I said, it's amazing how people kind of get bit by that and want to yes. achieve these things that they never thought were possible. Yeah. Um, uh, dude, I just yeah. love that. And, and we've seen the same thing. Like once you get to a certain point, you've achieved whatever you deem to be your ideal body weight or body fat. It's like, like you said, what are you just in permanent maintenance mode for the rest of your life like no like you need to now we need to set our sights on something new right it's just a new goal a new target and i mean that's what i love about it and it gives you something to get serious and train about every day otherwise so often it's when you're in maintenance mode it's not just physically but it's mentally and that's when you lapse you know that's Mm -hmm. when you kind of fall back into your old patterns yep i think you have to be careful too i don't like Everybody's going to see it because I've done a lot of powerlifting. People think I'm biased towards. I want everybody to squat, bench, and deadlift. Right. You know, with a straight bar, low bar, back squat. It needs <laughs> to be a massive arch when you bench press. That's what you have to do because I powerlift, and that's what we do. So you do it. Right. No. You know, we're going to use variations of those exercises. But what I'm going to do is kind of put a bug in people's ears that I think may be interested in this. Like, hey, have you ever thought about this? And right. I want it to be your decision, not my decision for you. Yeah. And what I always suggest people do is, hey, come to a meet. And yes. See if you're comfortable putting on a singlet. Right. <laughs> and doing that first off. Because I've had people, like I always tell them, like, you got to show up. Well, you have to wear a singlet. They find that out. Like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm like, yeah. yeah, you come see it and come see who's wearing singlets and all the different shapes and sizes and powerlifting because it, we all got to wear them. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, everybody's going to be doing this. So you're not going to be sticking out like a sore thumb and being self-conscious about it. Yes. So come and watch first and make sure you want to do it. We've had a lot of success in all honesty. This has been an awesome event. As a team, we do three powerlifting events a year. Yeah, we do two USAPL events, and we're gonna we did one in house last year, kind of like you guys do. Yeah, in the mid midpoint, and we're gonna get that USAPL sanction for that. Yeah, so it's official, so people can actually set qualifying totals and things like that. Oh, that's we, cool. I have several of my members of our members have become USAPL judges. I think we have three or four. Oh wow, um, USAPL judges of the lifters that have gone on to do that to get back to the sport, which has been awesome. That's awesome. So we got judges in house to do that on TSC Tactical Strength Challenge. We've ran. 
three of those so far. And that event is absolutely awesome. Ran through Strong First. You have to have a you know Strong First level one instructor at your gym to run it. Okay. And that's what I, I kind of organize it all and do that at the gym. And that event has been, we just got finished one up here a few couple weeks ago. And that's kind of a, it's a really cool event because it's deadlift, you know, one rep max and then a, a pull up or a flexed arm hang and a uh, five minute kettlebell snatch test. Um, there's lots of different divisions on that that people can do. And, and there's people that get involved in that, that I, like I said, they surprised me. I never would have thought they would be interested in this type of thing, but they challenge themselves and it's, it's really run well. It's over with pretty quick. It only takes a couple hours to run, yeah. get done with. And, you know, it's not a 12 hour affair, like sometimes yes. powerlifting can yes. be if they're gigantic meets. So, you know, it's, it's a, just a really, really cool event. And I highly suggest anybody kind of that's into the stuff. That's, that's a good place to kind of get involved with it. Um, now, that, that, that sounds really cool. Like I, I hadn't really heard of that, but I just like those too. It's like you get a blend of maximal strength, mm-hmm. you know, you've got some people just can't squat for whatever reason or can't squat to an appropriate depth. I mean, we've got clients that we've been working on their depth for three years <laughs> and put a barbell on their back. They're not going to be able to do it, but then you got, the conditioning side of it too. I mean, if you've never done a snatch test, that will test your intestinal fortitude very quickly. Yeah. So yeah, big time. No, that sounds cool, man. I like yeah, that a cool, lot. Yeah, it's cool because it tested across kind of all three domains there of you know relative strength, uh, absolute strength, and then your strength endurance, cardio, yeah, whatever you want to call it. That it's it's fun. It's really fun. No, that's a lot cool. of camaraderie and you know culture building from that too. And when you go through that snatch test. And you look at the other people and they're dying afterwards. You know, there's that little bonding through suffrage that you kind of yes. see. You're like, yeah, you've experienced this. You know what it's like. And I think that's one of the reasons why things like CrossFit and Spartan Runs and all those types of things tend to build a lot of community because yes. there is that bonding that you create through going through hard things with other people. And you create, again, community and connections from that. So for sure, super cool. For sure. All right, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Craig Rasmussen one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? (laughs) There's a lot. I I don't have a lot of regrets in life. There's things I would have definitely done differently, knowing what I know now, for sure. (laughs) The big thing I would say is kind of what we mentioned earlier is don't put limits on yourself. You know, the sky's sky's the limit, you know, don't know, you don't, don't put these self-imposed limits. You never know what you're going to achieve and get out of your freaking comfort zone Yep. and get uncomfortable doing stuff. I take risk. Don't fear failure. Failure is how we learn. Kevin Eastman from the, that was with the Clippers. He was Doc's assistant coach there in the basketball operations. I spoke at a couple of our seminars and he always, he has a great quote that I love is mistakes are going to happen. And that's how we learn. But what we want to avoid is repeats. Yes. Those are the problems. Mistakes are cool. You got to be okay with that. It's, oh, I want, when interns come in, I want you to make mistakes. It's totally fine. You're not in trouble if you make a mistake. Yeah. If you know better, you keep on making the same mistake, then we got a problem. Right. Well, and and something that, that I talk about and I try and express to my staff as well is there's a difference between experience and effort mistakes. Mm. You know, like we all make mistakes because we don't have that experience yet or we haven't been put in that situation yet. That's fine. Like you said, just don't try not to repeat it. Effort mistakes are what I struggle with. You know, like if you're not putting in the effort that I deem to be acceptable, that's when we'll have a problem. Sure. I love it. I love it. Okay, my guy, last but not least, we got our lightning round. Four questions. You can answer as short or as long as you'd like. All right. All right. Number one. So originally we had this, this podcast scheduled about a month ago. So 
your answer is going to be a little bit easier now. <laughs> Who's going to win the NBA title this year? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, the, the Warriors are pretty unbeatable. I think that – I mean, I can't – I love uh, Clay Thompson, that mm-hmm. kid. I do he too. He is something else. I like his just demeanor yes. and everything that he does. It's pretty cool. I was just listening to a Con Ed seminar, Don Shewer. He said, watch Clay Thompson. Before he goes out on the court, he does five tuck jumps. And why is he doing that? He's doing that. You know, everybody knows him as this great three-point shooter, but he's an unbelievable defensive player. And he does that because he's trying to you know, charge up his nervous system and get some neural excitation. So <laughs> one of the things he always includes with his athletes is you know, some kind of neural act- activation exercise before they do a, a big performance. You, know, you see that a lot. People stomp right. on their foot when they do stuff or whatever that little switch is to turn things on. So I don't know why that came up in my mind, but <laughs> that's why I like, the, I like the Warriors. And I like watching those little nuanced things again yeah. that, that – players do but I, I love clay thompson i love that kid's game and of course steph curry i like three i like shooters yeah. i think that nba is quite crazy now with how reliant they are upon the three-pointer yeah uh, people just come down and cast threes like crazy you got your seven footers shooting threes i yep. remember when i was in high school in 88 when i graduated that was the first year of the three-point line in high school oh my gosh see where that's come from yeah. I'm, I'm a 48 i'm gonna be 48 years old 49 years old in july so i've seen quite a bit over the last several years with how things have evolved but it's kind of wild just to see how the game's changed and from where it started with the three-point line to where it is now yeah so, I, <laughs> I always think to myself too like what's the next evolution i don't think we ever would have guessed that it the three-point shot would be as i mean obviously it's a big deal but we never would have thought it would be to the point where it is now and man so you just always wonder okay what's the next thing like how is the pendulum going to swing there next yeah number two what book or books are you reading right now uh, we've been reading a lot of productivity stuff lately I'm, that's something i'm rachel and alan have always helped me with mm-hmm. is being better organized with my time and they're because they're unbelievable with it yes and they're they're crazy. That's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from them is how to be able to, to be more productive and, and more organized. And they suggest a lot of resources for that. Michael Hyatt's book, Free to Focus, yep. um, was a fantastic guy. He has a full focus planner. I think I saw Bill Oh yeah, uh, I use recommend. it too. Yeah, so I use, you use it too? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's great. It's really good. I, that approach resonated with me too with doing your daily big three and things like that where yep. – it's really, really manageable and it makes a whole lot of sense and it's not complicated, yes. which is the big thing um, yes. to make systems work. Um, so that's the last book that I just finished. I've read a lot of John Gordon stuff, which is awesome. The Power of Positive Leadership um, is an unbelievable book. John Gordon has worked with a lot of people like Dabo Sweeney and 49ers. He's good friends with Coach K. And just the leadership stuff that comes from being positive is something that I've been focused on a lot. Yeah. Um, so those are the, the big ones. Training-wise, I have been watching Rob Panarillo's Legends of Strength Conditioning with Johnny Parker. Oh, Don yeah. Chu, the video just finished. It's awesome resource. Okay. Derek Hansen's on there. Al Miller, Al Vermeil, you know, the OGs of the strength conditioning world. Um, yes. It's a great, great resource. There's practicals on it. Alan, you know, Alan purchased that for us to invest in ourselves and read that. So that's what I've been spending most of my time doing. I, I way I do my con ed daily is I will spend an hour a day. It's part of my morning routine. Okay. Do con ed. I'll do a half an hour of reading and then I'll do a half an hour of video watching. Usually it's some kind of self-improvement or leadership type stuff for half an hour and then something in the field, whether it's reading or, or watching a video for a half an hour as part of my regular day. I think Alan's got a great quote that he shared with our interns last year is like, you know, reading 30 minutes a day is really easy to do. 
Yep. And it's really easy not to do. <laughs> yes. So yep. that, that really stuck with me. I'm like, eh. you know, what we notice is that's a success trait of highly successful people is they all read incessantly. Yes. So yes. you see that a lot. If you're not reading, and I didn't read for a long, long time because I was lazy and didn't think it was very important. And then I finally re- got off the, you know, realized that I was, which I was missing out on. And that was a, a massive problem that I had. And I started reading and it, it is really, it feeds your mind the good stuff and, you know, motivation wanes and things like that. And you've got to feed your mind the good stuff yes. um, to keep motivated and keep going because it will, it's like there's an author from a, uh, from Rich Habits or some other book where he talks about like, it's like feeding yourself. If you don't eat, you starve and you, yes. you're malnourished. And it's the same thing if you don't feed your mind, yes, you're not going to be, you know, getting, exhibiting positive traits and behaviors. Oh, wow. That's great. I have never heard that, but that's, that's really smart. Yeah. Okay. Number three, real talk. What's better, Indianapolis or Cali? (laughs) (laughs) This is a tough one. (laughs) The simple answer is it's very much a toss up. I absolutely, people are shocked when I lived in Indianapolis there. What the heck? What'd you move from California for? Indianapolis was an awesome place. I absolutely loved it. I met Awesome people. The the neighbors that we had out there were unreal. Just the genuine people out there. It's it's so awesome. I it, it's just unreal how people are in the Midwest. Yeah. It's really legit. And I I love living there. There's a lot of more stuff to do than people realize. The weather is tough in the winter. Weather it's is tough. Long. It's long, and that was the hardest part about it. Is the weather was long, but in all honesty, and I tell people this all the time, if I could have moved my my friends and family out there, I probably would have stayed in Indianapolis. I think. Yeah. And now the weather was novel when I lived. I lived there for about four and a half years. The first two years, it was really novel and cool. The tornadoes and right. <laughs> no one having near death experiences with that. Yes. Every year was kind of crazy, but it it was novel. But it got it kind of wore on me over the last couple of years. And in California, I mean, you can't beat the weather here. It's yeah. un- I ride a motorcycle to work basically ninety nine percent of the day. That's crazy. Ninety nine percent of the year, and I wear shorts every single day to work there. In the last um, six years that we kind of allowed shorts to be worn at work, I haven't worn pants one day to work. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. To work, <laughs> but I haven't right. worn pants to work in uh, six years. So that's hard to beat. The cost of living, though, man, it's California is so damn expensive. Yeah. It's crazy out here. The cost of living and housing in particular is is nuts. And you know, I looked at my house in Indianapolis. I think you helped me move when I yeah when I uh, packed up the U-Haul when I moved out back to California. Yeah, and that house that we had there was awesome. It cost us like 129000 and we had a screened-in porch and a cul-de-sac, and I missed yeah. that house so much. Because <laughs> I, I know what you can have out there yeah. versus what that – you can't have anything near that for three times the cost out here. Right. So that's tough. So to answer that question, it's a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that, man. Okay, last but not least, number four, what's next for Craig Rasmussen? What do you got going on? What are you excited about? Yeah, I am working on some projects, trying to put out a lot of co- more content than I have. I think that's what I need to do. I haven't, maybe it comes from a fear of being judged and different things like that, not thinking I know enough. I want to share what I've learned 
from all the different people that I, I mean, at Results Fitness, I've had so many different exposures to so many different people within this industry from who Alan and Rachel are. Yes. Um, it, it's mind blowing when I sit back and just write a list of all the people that I've learned from directly here at yes. the gym that Alan and Rachel have and gone to that Alan and Rachel have invested in me to go learn from. I mean, it's like, holy smokes. Yeah. I want to share that stuff that I've learned from these people. I think that honors them to give back yes. to people. And I need to be more, much more forthcoming and not worry about what people think. For <laughs> I just sure. need to put it out there and do that. So there's some projects that, you know, they've, Alan and Rachel have uh, provided a lot of opportunities for me. So they've, there's some stuff in the works that's going to be coming out real soon that they've kind of, uh, you know, been up and been back behind for me to kind of push me with. So that, that's awesome, man. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. Craig, you've been amazing to chat with today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Yeah, Mike, we, I appreciate you having me on. It's been great catching up with you because it's been way far too long. I know, um, I know. I want to get back out there to Indian visit here sometime soon, and hopefully you're out here in California yes. again sometime soon too. The best place, I don't, I'm not super active on social media. I try to be every year. I set it as a goal to be more active <laughs> on it, but I just, I don't enjoy it all that much. Yes. Like I said, I'm, I'm not the most social guy in the world. I'm pretty introverted by nature, so yes. I'm, I'm, I really want to get better at it. So Facebook, I have an account there and I'll try to remember to check my messages and get on. I try to get on there <laughs> regularly for our, we have our, our, you know, our results fitness university. I check that daily, but I try not to go too many other places because I just end up wasting a lot of time and yes. being distracted. Yeah. So really got to fight that. Um, Understood. Yeah. But I, I'll try to put out more content there. I'll do my best. Instagram, it's at Craig R-A-S-M. I have like six posts on <laughs> there. <laughs> But if there's some, there's a couple of decent ones that I put up there. I'll try to be better there. But Rachel and Alan are great people to follow. You'll see a lot of stuff from them about Results Fitness University. Alan has a coaching group that you definitely should get involved with if you get into that group and, and he brings you in there. There's a lot of stuff in there. We have a new product that we just put out from Results Fitness University. It is resultsfitnessvault.com okay. slash program design. It's an in-house seminar that we did here at the gym which we're pretty proud of. So that is on there. And there's a link to it on Alan's face and Rachel's Facebook as well Okay. to that. So that is definitely something to check out that we're pretty, pretty proud of. Awesome. Um, so that's, that's the main ways. And, and uh, we hope, you know, we get some people out here and we meet some more people for the results fitness mentorship. I love it's it. It's uh, always a good time and you're, it's a, it'll be well worth your investment. I love it, man. Well, I'll make sure I get all those links in the show notes. But again, Craig, thanks so much for uh, taking the time, buddy. I know you're you're busy, but I appreciate you coming on. You bet, Mike. All right, guys, that does it for this week's show with Craig. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Man, he's one of those guys, I've known him for 16 years now. Bill and I used to say that he's one of the top five humans in our industry. He's just a wonderful guy, a wonderful human being, and somebody that I can really relate with on a personal level because he is so unflinching in his desire to grow and evolve. So again, hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, man, I would love to get some feedback from you. What are you liking about the show? What would you like to see change? What would you like more or less of? Shoot me an email, mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at robtrainsystems. Any feedback that you have about the show or what you'd like to see improved, I would love to hear it. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. I love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.